podcast for the British Virgin Islands. We're going to talk to the list of captains that we have for the upcoming trip. But before that, we have a couple of our interviewers to include Reed from the Salty Bastard, Will and Casey from Naughty by Nature. And we're going to start with the introduction in terms of captains of Mike. He's the captain of D's Knots. So welcome, Mike, to the trip. Dan, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm delighted uh, to be partaking in this uh, incredible once-in-a-lifetime trip that we're doing in April of 22. Just a little bit of background. Um, I do sail quite often, um, particularly racing. I started sailing when I was 10 years old. This funny story. My mom dropped my brother and I off at a yacht club in uh, New Jersey. Uh, we summer on an island called Long Beach Island, and she thought we would like sailing, and so she dropped us off and said, see you at 5 o'clock. And what I didn't know is that sailing would become a lifelong passion. You know, we got there, we had no idea... We'd never sailed before, and one thing led to another, you know, learned how to sail, started racing, um, you know, I started on a sunfish, sunfish kind of outgrew that, became a laser, outgrew that, got on a two-person boat called a Blue Jay, um, learned the ins and outs of a two-person boat with a spinnaker and racing that, and then... The next step would be uh, moved up to Lightnings, uh, which is a fantastic 19-foot boat that takes three people. Did that for probably eight seasons and then um, moved out to Long Island. Bigger boats, you know, 30, 40-foot racing boats um, and did that for five seasons and then eventually moved down to Washington, D.C., where started racing on uh, what's called an S2 7.9, um, 7.9 meter boat in the Potomac every Tuesday night. And eventually, and now my current situation is I race a couple times a week in Annapolis, and, you know, the boats are usually quite large, you know, 30, 35 foot and above, and sometimes there's weekend regattas, um, distance races. Sometimes it's just around the buoys. But suffice to say, it's my passion. I absolutely love sailing. I'm looking forward to this trip. This trip's a little bit different because um, I'm usually racing. You know, it's how to get from one place to another as quickly as possible. And this trip is a little bit more cruising. Um, definitely a leisure sail but I'm looking forward to it nonetheless I also am looking forward to steering a catamaran um, most of the time I'm on monohulls so definitely looking forward to getting some cat experience and being with uh, with everybody looks like a great lineup of people great uh, preliminary itinerary so can't wait can't wait for this trip Okay, Kip, on to the next one. Uh, Kip is the captain of the Salty Bastard. Uh, Kip, explain how you came about getting your captain's license and what your favorite thing is 
of sailing the open seas. Sure thing. So I uh, got into sailing on the 2013 trip with Dan uh, in the BVI. I was just crew there, and uh, as many of you know, suffered uh, an injury or two, but still loved the trip so much that six years later, I decided to go out to the Mediterranean, um, Mallorca, Spain, and learn how to sail uh, from a company called Nautilus Sailing, and uh, it was a pretty awesome experience. It was me and two other students on a 40-foot catamaran, and I came away with it, uh, came away from it with uh, four different ASA certifications. That's the American Sailing Association. That's what you need to captain a, a boat. So pretty awesome trip. I've been sailing a couple times since then, but uh, do not have nearly the resume as Mike. Uh, you said Mallorca, Spain. That's interesting. I went to Mallorca on our honeymoon. Pretty awesome island. So I'm sure the sailing around the Mediterranean was pretty awesome, right? It absolutely was. Yeah, the, the water was this deep blue color that I just had not expected to see. Really good sailing. We had a lot of into-the-wind sailing, unfortunately, but uh, that was only for a day or two. After that passed, uh, we, we got some really uh, – we sailed over some really big swells to me again. I, they were huge because first time really out there sailing and got to go to some remote islands. Um, it, it was a really cool experience. Highly recommend it if uh, anybody's interested in sailing in that area. What was your uh, favorite part of Mallorca? Was it east coast, west coast of the island? Uh, well, curious. we didn't get to sail around the whole island. We we started in uh, right near the airport, really, and kind of just went down south along the coast around to the eastern edge, around the southern tip up to the eastern edge there, but not all the way, not that far up. And then sailed down to an island off the coast that I can't recall the name at the moment. Uh, hung out there for a couple days and then uh, went back kind of at the end of the trip towards uh, the southern southwest edge of the island and back towards the airport at the end. Kip, did you say just the tip? I was just curious. I might have said that once or twice, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful island, and that's a hell of a place to learn how to sail. So if anybody's on Kip's boat, uh, I'm sure they're lucky to have him as their captain. Uh, next up is Dan, captain and fleet admiral on the Salty Bastard. Dan, introduce yourself. Let everybody know who's Dan and what makes him sail. Thanks, Case. So my sailing pedigree, if you can call it that, was in the 90s. We went to some sailing clinics at Bellhaven Sailing Marina off the GW Parkway where we got an opportunity to sail those little sunfishes. They have their removable dagger boards and are easy to capsize and got the chance to sail some flying scots. Um, I think my favorite part of that experience was ramming the brothers' boats and throwing out their dagger boards and flipping the boats so that uh, it was impossible to flip them back over again. That was uh, you know, my, probably my favorite parts of that, less about sailing and more about just uh, being a dick to everybody. But uh, several years removed from that, I had the opportunity to go down to the British Virgin Islands, sail, I think it was about a 34-foot 30 monohull, and then a couple years later, 2013, got on a 48-foot cat, and then a couple years later after that, 2015, got on a 38-foot cat. A really a fun experience down there in the British Virgin Islands, especially on a catamaran where you have lots of space to stretch out. I'm just excited to do it again. Excited about the crew that we have on the Salty Bastard, and... Kip's a great uh, 
assistant captain and commander. So we're, we're going to have some pretty experienced folks on the boat, I think, in April of next year. So thanks, Case, for the intro. No problem, Dan. Glad we're all going down this road with you again. Um, it's a fun trip, and I think that most people listening to this podcast will um, that have been before or have not been will really enjoy it. For those that do not have a captain assigned to their boat, there will be a captain assigned to you from the Moorings Company, which obviously is probably better than Dan. <laughs> uh, Thanks so for the confidence, you, Case. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather have Kip. I'm, that's all I'm saying. Um, so, a <laughs> little Q&A little uh, for all of those out there. Um, so we, we talked a little bit to Mike about his favorite part of sailing. Um, I guess we, we can scoop over from Mike because he's been sailing for so long and is so experienced, but, uh, let's, let's ask Kip a little bit about his favorite part. I mean, there's a lot of great things about sailing, but one of the things that's been kind of surprising to me, because I mean, the, the trip I did in 2013, I expected this. And then the one I did in 2019, I expected to be paired up with some people I probably very different places in our lives and wouldn't really get along with well. And then another trip I just did in 2020, uh, you know, same same story. Everyone I've met, uh, everyone I've met through sailing have been awesome people. We have a blast. Um, apparently, uh, drinking like a sailor is a saying for a reason. Lots of alcohol is always consumed, regardless of who I'm with. And you know, I've I've been sailed with. Uh, a um, electrocardiologist who makes I don't know, who knows how much money and I've sailed with uh, somebody who just has enough money to make it on the trip and on the boat everyone's the same and we have a blast and I've made some great friends I keep in touch with them they've invited me to go sailing again so I'd say the social aspect honestly is has been the some of the, the most fun there and with this crew um, that will definitely be amazing so Mike, let me uh, flip it back to you real quick. So you're obviously a racer, uh, sailor. You go out in the Chesapeake a lot. Have you ever been down to the British Virgin Islands? <clears throat> and if not, what are you most looking forward to? So yeah, I, uh, I do a fair amount of racing in the Chesapeake Bay. I've raced all over the East Coast. Um, you know, Newport, Long Island, New Jersey, um, down to Florida, Miami, you know, St. Petersburg. I think what I'm most looking forward to is just, you know, the fact that you can sail island to island. You can see everything, so it's not a lot of open ocean, you know. I think there's one long sail that we have where you're going to have to, I guess, rely on navigation equipment. But just the fact that you're going from island to island and just sort of, you know, being out there. And uh, it's a very special place. The pictures are incredible. I think just the whole experience of, of being on these cats with a lot of good friends and well-provisioned and taking it from t place to place, that's what I'm most looking forward to. So we have special guests. We have Reed and Will. So I'd like to open up the question Q&A to Reed and Will. Will, uh, what is your favorite thing you're looking forward to besides sleeping with me? <laughs> Well, that's definitely the number one thing I'm looking forward to the most. But I think just going down there with a bunch of good people, hopefully we can kind of disconnect from all the 
electronics, electronical devices. I'm just, yeah, I'm just looking out to, looking forward to hanging out with good people and hopefully not getting tinned. So, Will, if, if you had uh, one thing that you wanted to do down in the British Virgin Islands, what would it be? I don't think I'd be able to get, like, certified to scuba in time, but definitely maybe, like, snorkel and hopefully see, like, cool sea creatures. Um, I think that would be really cool. Sounds great. Your yeah, I'm with you on is... that one. I, I think the uh, snorkeling would be fun, too. I unfortunately missed out on that on the first trip, as well as Casey, because we both had injuries that kept us on the boat. So I think that's a, that's yeah. a good thing to look forward to. I'm definitely looking forward to swimming in, in, I mean, it really is clear. Like you could see all the way down to the bottom. Um, like we could literally see Ryan's Ray-Bans that fell to the bottom, but we couldn't get there because it was so far down. So I think there's probably two different ways to answer that question. So if, if you're on a day sail where you go out in the water and you're back within the same day, or maybe you're out just for the night, it's hard to be in a monohull because the way that the boat heals when you're under sail, you heard the term bearing the rail where the boat is like really healed over. It's just an experience like no other. But in the British Virgin Islands where you're gonna be on the boat for a week, you're not gonna experience that healing so much because we're all gonna be on catamarans, but you're gonna love the fact that there's just so much more space given how wide the cat is. So you still get the same experience when you get under sail and that you turn the engine off and the wind is pushing you. That's basically the only sound that you're hearing. And so that is really what excites me about the trip is when you get to that point where you get on the channel, you turn the engine off, and the only thing you hear is just the sails moving based on the wind and just get to take it all in. That's that's my favorite part about the whole thing. Um, this is Reed. Uh, so oh, hey, Reed. My my, uh, my selling experience is watching Captain Ron, the movie, once. Um, Great so, movie. You know, I, tons of questions. Um, but uh, the main one, like, being – so I keep hearing injuries mentioned. What what injuries were there, and uh, what should we be, like, watching out for? Is there something there, that a story behind that that I should know to, to help newbie sailors? Well, well, Kip, you can explain. Sure. Well, so back in 2013 – I had no idea what I was doing. I was given a job, and so I was—I figured I'm going to do it the best I can, even though I was terrified for my life. I figured, you know what, this is this is sailing, man up and do the job. Turns out things weren't really the way they should have been. Uh, thinking back on it now, uh, now that I actually know more about sailing, there's we should have never been in that situation. But there were some some lines that were whipping around. They were attached. I think they were the jib sail lines, the jib lines, and uh, jib sheets rather. And they were just whipping around like crazy uh, as the wind was blowing the sail. Again, I know none of these terms, but I'll I'll look up a urban dictionary uh, the, for sailing. But go ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, you'll you'll learn on the trip. Learn as much as you want, or as little as you want. Anyways, it was whipping around, and I was there by the main halyard line, so you can look that one up too, and and putting it, stuffing it in the bag that's attached to the mast. And as I was doing that, this rope whipped around and caught on a handle that was a metal handle that was on the side of the mast and ripped it off and then directly into my head which get yeah, put a gash in my head and so for about a day it healed pretty quickly it wasn't too bad but uh you know left some blood on the boat and had to stay out of the water for about a day and a half but i've, I've learned a lot i think uh, dan has certainly learned a lot as well and it, dan was not the captain of that uh on that trip either but you know it's just uh situation that could have been avoided and 
and it wasn't too bad. We still all had a great time, and I love I still love the trip enough to, to come back and do it again. And Reed, for me, uh, I broke my ankle before I went down to the BVI, so that was had nothing to do with um, going on this trip. It was more to do with me and my brother Ryan um, getting into uh, a fight. Enough said. Well, that makes sense. But I appreciate yeah. the uh, appreciate the insight on the injuries. Yeah, yeah. So I, I couldn't go in the water because I had uh, a, a cast on, basically. So that's why I'm really excited about this next trip where, you know, knock on wood, I don't have to go through surgery again. Um, so we'll move on. I would really like to hear from Will Wilson again about if he's going to bring um, a girlfriend with him or should I be worried? I don't think you should be worried. I won't be bringing a cow pal. I would have to find someone that I want to tolerate being on a boat long enough to do that. Uh, plus, I got my little snuggle buddy with you. Uh, it's, I mean, it's 2021. It'll be 2022 by then. It'll be 2022. I go by uh, him, they. So I just want you to know that. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the next question. Mike, what is the most challenging part of sailing? Yeah, great question. So I look at it through the lens of a person who races sailboats. So that having been said, you know, we're competing against 5, 10, 15, 20 different boats. We're trying to get from one point to another in as quick a time as possible with as few errors as possible. So it's a little bit different than this trip, which is more about leisure, but if I understand Dan's itinerary correctly, we do need to make progress uh, and, and go from one, it's not like we're gonna be just floating around. So I think one of the biggest challenges is getting the right settings on the boat to move from one place to another as quickly as possible. And so, when you think about a 50-foot catamaran, there are a number of different settings which affect your boat speed, which include, you know, trimming in the mainsail, trimming in the jib or the Genoa. I don't think these boats are equipped with a spinnaker. Making sure the weight on the boat is evenly distributed, making sure that if there's a lot of drinking and debauchery that you don't have any men, women, or other overboard, because that creates quite a situation. So I think for me, the most challenging part is just if it, what you might call efficient sailing and, you know, really maximizing boat speed to get where you want to go, because I think that's what this trip's all about is all these great destinations that Dan has helped us purvey and uh, getting there as swiftly as possible. Uh, that brings up a good question, actually, uh, Mike. So for the captains out there, Mike, Kip, and Dan, what are some things that the other passengers on your boat could help out with during the duration of a long sail? Uh, I think one of the most important things is making sure that everybody is comfortable on the boat. So 
if there's somebody who sort of says, I'm going to be the bartender for the day and I'm going to make sure that everybody is happy and, and has a fresh drink in hand and, you know, making sure that everybody has a smile on their face, we're sailing, we're in the British Virgin Islands. So like mindset, before you even bring the sails up, everybody's got to be chill, everybody's going to be happy. And I think that is very possible because many of the people will be returning for a second or maybe a third trip. Uh, so there's some familiarity. Um, for those of us who have children, I mean, just the sheer factor of being away from our beloved children for seven days is going to feel like a month. And yes, we will miss them dearly. But the fact of the matter is we'll be having a, what was probably the best vacation since our honeymoons is going to put a little pep in people's step. So that's mindset before the sales go up. But then once the sales are up, uh, there is plenty to do. I have not yet looked at how these boats are rigged, but I've got to imagine that aside from steering, which would be the principal responsibility of the captain, you're going to need help with trimming the sails, raising and lowering the sails, uh, picking up the mooring balls, you know, it's it's not going to be a one-man job. So there's all kinds of things. So I think what I've heard of best practice, and, and I would ask some of the folks that have gone before me, is to, in the beginning of the trip, designate who's going to do what, when, you know, if there's a person on the boat who's going to be the mooring getter, uh, you know, that's a that's an important job. It, it can't be the captain who's trying to steer and then sprinting to the front of the boat, which is also called the bow. So I think I would lean on some of my uh, colleagues to discuss, you know, the full range of responsibilities, but designating those at the front end, I think would be really important. So guys, what do you think? I think that's some good advice. And I would expand on that by saying that there's some other things that, that uh, folks sh should be prepared to just do. Maybe they'd be temporary or, or permanent for the entire period of time, but there's not many places where you're going to actually dock. So, you know, as you leave the dock on the first day and you return to the dock on the last day, you're going to want somebody that's in charge of the fenders to put those out in case that there's any rubbing of the boat against the dock. There's also a line, it's, it's called the painter. So the painter runs between the boat and the dinghy. The worst thing you could possibly do with that line is to get it stuck in one of the propellers. And so, you know, as you're leaving the dock especially, and also as you're leaving the mooring balls, you want to make sure that somebody's on top of that so that it doesn't end up right around where the engines are and get stuck in there and, and churn that up. That's a pretty, pretty big mistake. Um, there's also going to be somebody that's in charge of, <laughs> you can call them the bilge boy or whatever you want to call them. But on the boat, obviously, as people flush the toilet, it goes to the bottom of the boat and the bilge. And as you get into the channel, somebody just has to make sure that they open up that, that bilge valve and that empties all of the uh, bilge contents into the channel. You don't want to do that in the areas, of course, where you're swimming, but you can do that in the channel. So each time you leave wherever you are for the day and get in the channel, you're going to want to have somebody open that because you don't certainly want that to fill up. You're also going to want, I think, somebody to be on the front to just scout out, make sure that you don't run into anybody. Not that there's that, that many boats in the British Virgin Islands, but you never know. It's good to have somebody looking out for things in case you miss something and you, know, you want to make sure you yield the right away down there. And then you're going to want to have two people that are in charge of capturing the mooring ball, as Mike mentioned earlier. So, you know, you're going to have a, a stick that has a, a hook on the end 
you're going to want to have somebody reach down, pick up the rope that's off the mooring ball. You're going to want to wrap that around the cleat on the boat, which brings us to another point, which is if you have anybody that's on the boat that's holding onto a rope, never, ever, ever think that you can hold onto the rope and hold the boat with your hands. You're going to end up with a really nasty rope burn. You want to wrap that around the cleat at least once, hold it that way, wait for the line to loosen a little bit after the tension lets up, and then you can pull it off a little bit, tighten a little bit, and then tie it around the cleat. That's the best way to go. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a very unpleasant rest of the trip if you uh, get your get your hands burned on that. So, I was just going to add, um, to Dan's point, the mooring ball. So everywhere we're going on this trip, there is a mooring ball. So what, what does that mean? It means there's basically a floating ball that's anchored into the bottom of the seafloor and that has a rope on it. So typically you need two people. So one person has the, um, the hook that grabs the rope and that brings the rope up onto the boat. And then there needs to be a second person there to quickly put that rope onto to tie it, tie off the boat. So those are two things that especially needs two people. So on your boat, if you don't have Dan, that could do it by himself. I've seen him. And Mike too. Mike could probably do it with his eyes closed. That's that's a huge thing. So when you're coming into to the mooring ball, you have to be the captain on your boat is making sure that they don't run aground. So that's their main focus is and also not to hit anybody else around them. So the two people in the front of the boat need to make sure that they grab the line, uh, tie off the boat, and then the rest is history. And I believe it was Jack Delaney on my boat. Um, he was in charge of releasing the hounds, the poo valve. So yeah, when you get out into open water, that's when you dump everything. That's another thing that you have to think about. It's a long week. There's a lot of people on a boat. You gotta get, gotta let it out, but you're not swimming in it because it's going out on the channel. So that's another thing. Um, I can't think of anything other besides putting up and down the sails, which your captain will let you know when that is appropriate. I was more in charge of making sandwiches, so I didn't do any of those things that I just mentioned. Um, but everybody has a task on the boat. Either you're making sandwiches, you're tying up the boat, you're doing something, but make sure that you um, volunteer to do something because um, we're well, all there. There's always the dinghy, the dinghy master. Wasn't that your job? I was also the dinghy master because I could not get in the water. Yes. So there is, on every boat you have a dinghy that um, is tethered behind the boat and you drag it around uh, from one place to another and has a engine on it. You can have a dinghy master, you can have anybody, but it is pretty complicated in the fact that, I mean, it's basically like you're starting up a, a leaf blower. I mean, it's like you're pulling a cord to start up an engine. And then you have a throttle, which kind of rotates like via the wrist. You wanna make sure that whoever is in charge of bringing people, especially on the nights where everybody's trying to get nice and, and dolled up to go out to dinner. Um, you want to make sure that you don't throw everybody 
in the water. So uh, whoever's in charge of the dinghy needs to make sure that they understand how to run a dinghy. Um, I'm happy to teach them. That's the only thing I know. I can't sail, but I sure as hell know how to do a dinghy. So my next question, what to pack for your trip? What to wear? You just want to wear... Can I add to this question really quickly, if you don't mind? Uh, very same vibe, like, like as a newbie, like, with packing, is there any gear that we would need, like shoes or hat or special croaky or you know, any of the nature? Yes. So 100% pack a foldable bag. Don't don't bring. I know it's it's hard sometimes to like when you go on vacation, you want to have a hard case but you need like a duffel bag because the duffel bag is going to be able to roll up and you can throw it underneath the bed very easily because there's very little room in these boats. So you need to be aware of that. Definitely the sun down there is brutal. So if you need sunglasses, 100%. Casey, should I bring easy. sunblock? No, because I'll be there to protect you, Mike. Okay, so you don't need sunblock. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, 100% sunblock. Hats, big hats. Dan has big hats. I believe, Reed, you have a hat from Germany. It's very big. It's got a big... Ah, uh, yes, the Sleeve of Wizard hat. Yes. So <laughs> I would I would bring that with you if you still have it. I what about zinc, about like for the nose? Like, you know, those just cover the face in zinc like Mark Zuckerberg is... Don't be that guy. That... Don't don't be. That guy. <laughs> no, I mean. Also, honestly, also, don't Reed... don't bring don't bring special shoes. You don't wear shoes on the boat. Shoes are actually outlawed on the boat. So, wear flip flops. Well, unless... Bring flip flops, unless... but don't wear them on the boat. Bring other little shoes shoes to bring to shore. But while you're unless on the boat, mar... you don't wear anything. Unless they're marine grade shoes, like boat shoes, um, something that has like a white bottom to it, because what you're gonna find out too is like. Um, after long nights of hanging out, there's a lot of spills. So if anybody has, doesn't want to do the mooring ball, doesn't want to do sandwiches, um, you can always wake up early and mop the floors because that's, and all that water just goes back into the sea. So, um, but there's a lot of things you can do. You can clean, you can do whatever. Um, Dan, do you have anything else you want to, point out uh to reed's comment about what to bring or not to bring the other thing that i think i don't think a lot of people realize is that you don't want to bring anything that is cardboard and leave it on the boat i and it kind of sounds silly why would you pack anything that's cardboard when you get down there and you get the provisioning on the boat anything that is kind of with the shape of a cardboard you want to get it off the boat because that is something that roaches love to you know create more roaches in so those type of things you want to keep off the boat. And I think, Casey, as you mentioned, any luggage that is collapsible is great because it's there's lots of storage places on the boat, and the more you can collapse into those storages, the better. If you bring a lot of hard shell suitcases, you're going to have a little bit of a hard time trying to find a good spot to put them because those, obviously those hard shell suitcases don't collapse, and you're going to run out of space quick. So you really don't need to bring a lot on the trip. Uh, you know, if you're a dude bathing suits, t-shirts, hats, that's about it. Some flip-flops, you know, don't overdo it. Mostly, I think Ryan and Dan, everybody took showers. 
or baths in, in the water, they were just, you really only want to shower if you really need to shower or you just lather yourself in, in um, shampoo and just jump in the water. And I got really jealous because they all did that and I couldn't. What is the difference, Mike, from a monohull and a catamaran? Casey, great question. So a monohull is probably what most people associate with a sailboat. So, you know, you're, you're driving at the beach and you see a whole bunch of masts, you see a whole bunch of sailboats. You're probably looking at a monohull and it's mono because it has one hull. And so what's different about this trip and different about catamarans is you have two hulls that are connected by, you know, if you're talking about a small boat, like a, like a Hobie Cat or a Hobie 16, you have like a net in between <clears throat> the two hulls uh, or pontoons. And people enjoy uh, catamarans because <clears throat> they're typically faster than a monohull. And there's a lot of physics involved with that, but simply stated, you have less effective edge in the water, you have less drag when you have uh, catamarans, so they tend to uh, move quite a bit faster than their monohull brethren. Uh, in this case, and this is remedial for those who've participated in this trip before, but for those who have not, uh, take a look at the, the craft that we'll be riding around on. Uh, it's, it's a luxury catamaran um, where you have two hulls and you have four or five, I guess five in our case, staterooms. And it's all interconnected. And I believe on most, if not all of the boats that we've selected, there's an upper deck that is a great place to have a cocktail and then take in all the scenery. So um, yeah, primary difference between a monohull and a catamaran is the second hull for the catamaran making it a uh, presumably faster boat just uh, on its face. So Mike, what's your favorite boat? Just, just to clarify real quickly, the upper deck is not what Casey and Ryan did to Dan in college, correct? <laughs> so uh, I was not involved with that, but yeah, that was all Ryan. Okay, so, I forgot, my, my bad. I was there present, but I was not involved with the upper decking yeah so mike what i really want to ask is uh what's your favorite type of boat to sail that's a really that's a tricky question you know if obviously it's just, obviously it's a, a clunky catamaran right yeah i mean <laughs> th here's the deal the catamaran that we're going to be on is you know it's going to be like the ritz carlton in terms of, you know, we, we got the fanciest boat. I think it has Wi-Fi, you know, very, like, the, if you look at it, I think it was like a million dollars if you wanted to buy this boat. You know, this is, this is like uh, the high-end experience. But I'll answer that question in two ways. Um, if it's by myself, if it's just solo sailing, there's nothing better than being on what's called a laser, which is a 14-foot sailboat, a lot of sail area, very fast, very nimble. Those are a lot of fun. If it's with a crew, um, there's a boat called a J111. Take a look on Google Images. 
it's a J boat. It's super fast, super fun, and very sporty. So uh, yeah, those are two great, great picks. I'm gonna pivot here to Will Wilson because we haven't heard from him in quite a while. But uh, Will, I just want to hear what your favorite thing your you you want to experience in the BBI, and also, um, are you gay? Uh, this seems oddly similar to the last question, uh, but no, I'll start off. I'm not, but I support, I support, I support Dan being gay, um, more power to him. Uh, I'm looking forward to day drinking. Okay. That should be fun. All right. I just wanted to know because we're sharing cabin. So I just, I needed to know these things. Um, so anyways, uh, <laughs> um, Dan, is there anything else you want to ask before we end this podcast? Yeah, I, I have a couple of follow-up questions. So, and this is for Mike and Kip. So, you know, for, for both of you all that have been on boats before where you're not the primary captain, so you're helping out with racing, you're helping out with the leisure sale, what makes a a successful captain and I define successful as somebody that you would love to go on and sail with again. You know, I've been on sales before where you're racing, where the captain wants to make sure he knows people are in charge. And so he yells out orders and he's very dictative, but that was just one experience that I had. So for Mike, who's been on a lot of sales and Kip, who's been on more than I have, you know, what, what draws you to a successful captain? you say, I, I like this guy, I want to go back, this was a fun experience. Like, what are the things that make up a, a really great sale? Yeah, Dan, that's a, that's a super question. Thanks for asking that. Um, I think a great captain creates a culture or an environment where it's everybody's on the same page. So in the beginning, when you're just setting out, there's expectations that are set. There are roles and responsibilities. Everything is clearly defined. Um, and then, you know, once, once you're out and you're actually sailing, you know, day one, there's some constructive feedback, you know, and there's, you know, there's learning. I mean, <clears throat> most people that are on this trip are not sailing multiple times a week or a month or a year. And so it's a little bit foreign. And so I think, you know, there's an opportunity here where this could be a seven day long sailing lesson, if you think about it. I mean, it's, yeah, so we're going to be snorkeling, we're going to be drinking beers, we're going to be going to dinner. You know, there's, there's so much going on, but this is a real opportunity if folks are interested in, in learning the true art of sailing. And so a good captain is going to, like I said, set expectations up front, provide constructive feedback, um, and just really make it a, a good all-around experience and a good time. Um, a good captain is not going to panic. You know, I think I heard in previous trips there's been a squall that's come through. You know, anybody who sails knows that the weather can sometimes be unpredictable. You have pop-up storms. You know, you just, like like anything else, you adjust your sails. You have to reef the sail, bring down the jib, bring down the Genoa, maybe take down all the sails and go under motor. 
So, yeah, I think those are good attributes. Kip, what do you think about that question? Yeah, my, my uh, experience will be a little different than yours, but I've had two very different captains that I've sailed with, different in the sense that one of them was my same age, and the other one had a career being a Coast Guard, retired, and now just leisure sails and teaches people sailing. Uh, both of them very impressive. The, the one who's my same age has more of a similar background to Mike, where he just grew up sailing in Maine and loved it, has done it his whole life, and decided to keep doing it, even though he went to school and graduated with an engineering degree, decided I don't, he doesn't need that, he's going to sail instead. But he's a laid-back guy. They're both very smart and intelligent. They knew a lot about sailing. Um, very easygoing and not strict. So they're not going to yell at anybody, but they do set the rules. You know, they make, like Mike said, make everything known ahead of time. Even though these were instructional, uh, at least the first one was, and the second one was, is, you know, learn as much as you want. They both kind of end up being learn as much as you want, because if you're being too strict about it, people get stressed out and you're not going to have a good time. Um, so it's just let people learn if they want to give them the nice environment to do it. And, uh, but yeah, don't panic. We, de we definitely had our a few moments where we could have panicked. Uh, we almost ran aground once we were navigating the canals in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we also almost hit a, hit a boat in the narrow channels of Fort Lauderdale because, uh, some big, some guy was coming in too fast the other direction around a blind corner. And so we had to kind of get out of the way real quick, but no panicking ever, you know, and, uh, keeps everybody else. Uh, calm and able to actually help out rather than panicking and being useless. Yeah, that that's such great, great points. Um, I had this really awful experience. I um, I sailed on a, with a hedge fund manager at Larchmont Yacht Club up in Westchester, New York, and I showed up, and <clears throat> you know we got on a Shields sailboat, which is a beautiful um, racing sailboat, very close quarters. Uh, take a look on Google Images for Shields sailboat. And I could tell right from the get-go that this guy was really wired tight. And we went out racing, and he swore up, down, sideways. He was screaming at his crew, screaming at other boats. Uh, I thought he was going to stroke out. I mean, this guy, I don't know what he does for... The hedge fund, you know, in terms of what his day job is. But when I got off of that boat, I was like, never again. So, you know, I think uh, a no asshole rule is, is important. You know, nobody wants to be shouted at and belittled. Um, you know, most people, like we said before, are not sailing all the time. And so it's just definitely foreign. But I think as the days wear on, you know, day two, day three, everybody should be building skills and it should be collective learning for those that are involved and, and really want to learn. So um, I'm excited to uh, to do this with everybody. It should be a great, great trip. Yeah, I'll, I'll add a little bit one more time. Uh, not so much about the captains, but it's kind of the same thing goes for the crew. There is uh, something to be said for being a good member of the crew. Uh, when I got off the most recent trip I went, which was from Hilton Head to Fort Lauderdale, uh, with a lot of night sailing and heavy weather, we had gale force winds. It was a really awesome experience. Um, I won't sign up for that trip again. Uh, it's hard work. It was more of a work trip, but it was a great experience, and that's why I did it. Uh, at the end of the trip, he says, Kip, I'd sail with you again. It was, you know, it was good. And I said, I don't tell everybody that. He probably tells most people that, let's be honest. But um, 
got me thinking like yeah you can be a bad crew member too you have to kind of be as helpful as you can and also try not to panic and 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 don't don't just uh ignore what the captain's saying if he needs your help or if he's telling you not to do something yeah you gotta you gotta gotta help him make it fun too that's so true you know when as a captain when you're at the helm you're responsible for everything going on you know where the boat is running aground capsizing man overboard you know getting from place to place not damaging these very beautiful uh crafts and so kip that's a great point you know as a crew member you you know you got to think about it like you know this is the person driving the boat driving the car you know they're responsible what can i do to help um to help out and, and and take some of that alleviate some of that uh stress you know, and, and all the jobs that we listed uh, before on the podcast, you know, everybody, there's plenty to do. Uh, it can't be just one person doing everything. So, you know, sign up, get out of your comfort zone. You know, if you don't, if you don't, couldn't pick a mooring ball, uh, you know, you can't even, know, don't even know what a mooring ball is. Get outside your comfort zone, pick up some new skills, um, have a good time and, and learn something. It'd be great. Yeah. So Reed and Will, having not been on the trip before, what other questions do you all have on your mind that, that you'd love to ask? Uh, this is Reed. I have several. I won't, you know, part of me is like wanting to answer, you know, ask a million questions. Part of me wants to just go and figure it out as we go. And, you know, you guys are all very experienced and uh, which seems to help, uh, you know, makes, makes it comfortable anyway. But I do have a few highlights that maybe I can ask. Number one, you know, I'm a budding like TikTok influencer and uh is there any good like instagram pics locations i should be looking out for or something i can uh you know what's the best picture things i can post on a story um, so, anywhere so, with blue water uh wow Reed, i don't Reed, think i understood the question i think i'm too am i too old to understand what he just asked Reed, you're ahead of your time because the next newsletter for the british version islands is going to have a whole page dedicated to instagram accounts that you should follow specifically for the british virgin islands so perfect um, i will uh, wait with an anticipation for that great intro that will come out in the next couple of weeks uh next i guess so uh, i don't kept mentioning on our phone call back in the day like about p- potential seasickness and uh, potential remedies for that or uh, precautions um can someone touch on that just in case because uh, I really don't know, you know, I have no idea. I, I can jump or not, but... on that, sure. I only really got seasick when I got hit in the head with that thing and was losing blood. So if you avoid that, that's number one. Aside from that, there, there's a couple things you can take. Um, I, you know, I, I don't remember them all off the top of my head, so we can send out that in a newsletter. But there's pills you can take. There's a patch you can put behind your ear. There's like ginger gum you can chew. There's these uh, wrist, the bracelet things that people say help. Um, so there's a lot of different options um, that, you know, some might work for you, some might not. Um, you can look into them and see which ones you think, or you can just bring but you, options. But you have to see a doctor for this, or are these over the counter? No. Or? So, yeah, the Reed, you can get them the over the counter. The patch um, behind the ear you need a prescription for. And, Reed, I'm just going to tell you right now, like, no matter how seasoned your sea legs are, by the end of the week, you're just going to you're just gonna be like on another level like you get off the boat and you're just like and i'm still moving 
So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can buy over the counter here at CVS um, for seasickness that can help out with that um, while you're there on the boat and also after you leave. Uh, do you have any other questions, Reed? Uh, so snorkeling, you know, because we talked about a scuba class, and I know Dan set up a separate email for that, but, you know, are there any advantages versus snorkeling versus uh, scuba diving? And, you know, do you have to bring your own snorkel gear, or is that possible to rent, or...? The snorkel gear comes on the boat, so everybody will have access to snorkel gear. Scuba gear, however, um, you need to be... Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but you need to be certified. Yeah, and, so on, you know. on the boat, you'll have a snorkel, snorkel, uh, you know, the goggles, and then fins. Those come with, every boat comes with enough of enough snorkels, goggles, and fins for everybody that the boat is rated for. So that won't be a problem. But if you do want to do the scuba, then as Casey mentioned, you got to be certified first, Patty certified, and then you can pay some additional money it's very marginal at that point the most the most expensive part is getting certified but then you can have tanks that are put on the boat and regulators and a couple other things that you know is associated with scuba diving that you can have added to the boat so hopefully we have several people that want to do some scuba diving and um, we can do it as a group but if all you want to do is doing some scuba there's some great places to do that and we'll definitely be hitting up those places on the trip. Is there any type of excursions that are available or like side side things? Or um, one of the things I was looking at is like, you know, I've done in the past on island trips is like any opportunities for like catching seafood and, and eating it while we're there. Any kind of restaurants like that that will help you prepare it or. Uh, so so in order to fish while you're on the boat, you have to have a, a fishing license. So that is a possibility. And I'll, I'll add that to the agenda to make sure that we. Uh, point people to that if that's what you want to do. So yeah, you can catch fish. You have to be careful about the fish that you catch because some are not allowed to be eaten. Some are not edible, so you don't want to catch them to begin with. But there are some great fish, I think, that you can catch and eat. So that is a possibility. I don't know of any restaurants where you would catch the fish and bring them to the restaurant. There is one that we've been to before, which is um, pretty awesome that we're going to go to, which is in Anagata. So you show up at around lunchtime and then you go and you tell them what what you want to eat for dinner, and then they go out and they catch it, and then, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven hours later, you come back and you eat that for dinner. So that's a that's a pretty nice experience, and the the food there is pretty delicious. There will be uh, this coming fall. So everybody has received now the newsletter that says here are the nights that we're going to be in X Y Z place. There will be an update in the fall that explains or gives options for what people can do during the day. So, you know, day one, we're going to end up at Cooper Island. Where, what do you want to do during the day? So we're going to set it up. Because we have four boats, there's any number of permutations that people can choose from. We're going to make sure that we set it up such that everybody ends up at the same place at night, but during the day, there are any number of different options that people can choose from depending on what they want to do. Do you want to go snorkel? You go do this. Do you want to... Do scuba diving, you can do that. Do you want to go to the spa and do this? You can follow this boat and do that. So a lot of options for folks to choose from. If your boat is not doing something that you want to do, you can get on another boat and do that for the day. But everyone's going to end up at night at the same place. So that all works out. So hopefully that gives people lots of options on the trip. Will Wilson I, I have one more question. question I'd ask of, of the other captains, if I could. 
Sure. Uh, this is Kip. I was just curious uh, if you guys uh, had a favorite place that you've sailed or a place that you haven't sailed that you'd really love to someday. Favorite place I've sailed would be Coconut Grove, uh, Biscayne Bay, Miami. Um, and the reason it's my favorite is the breeze there is constant. Um, it, the weather is just beautiful. It's just like ideal, you know, very little chop. A close second would be uh, up in Maine. We have a property up near Booth Bay Harbor on the water. Um, there's always a really awesome constant breeze there. A little bit more chop and the water is you know 50 55 degrees so nice balmy uh splash if you if you get any water on you but yeah those would be top and then in terms of perspective or places that i'd like to sail honestly british virgin islands has been on my list for quite a while and so this uh this completes that so i'm super excited about this trip for that reason i think my favorite place to sail um or to have been sail to have been on a sailboat has got to be Virgin Gorda. And if you look at the, the current agenda that the BVI itinerary group has put together is we're going to have two nights in the British, um, in Virgin Gorda and Gorda Sound. Um, just the vista there is, is incredible. And so that, that I think that folks will really enjoy. I mean, there's not really a bad place in the British Virgin Islands to experience, but if there's a place to spend a couple nights, that's definitely one of them, if not the place to do it. In terms of places that I would love to sail, intra-island sail would be a fun one to do. I mean, I've been to the British Virgin Islands several times where you're sailing from one island to another inside of the British Virgin Islands, but there are several sailing trips down there that involve going from one island to another, which is a little bit of a lengthier sail. I would love to try and experience that. It's less of a leisure and, and more of you know maybe some work involved, but definitely something that I would want to experience. But... Fortunately for the BVI trip that we have upcoming, there's not a whole lot of work involved, I think, in, in any of the sales that we have, minus some of the small duties that <clears> you mentioned <throat> earlier. I guess uh, just to round things out, unless anybody else has any, any other questions, we have Captain Mike, Captain Kip, Captain Dan. They're all experienced sailors, and they're ready to take you on an awesome vacation. Just yeah. uh, FYI for Mike, uh, there's definitely no spinnaker on these boats. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't know that, but uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely no spinnaker. Just uh, all right. You know what? To... How do I? Uh, am I able to back out and get my deposit? No spinnaker. No <laughs> no, no Rutler. So, guys, I want to I want to end this on a high note. Um, I want to know for the two people who are not captaining these boats, what their plan is. So we have Reed on the Salty Bastard and Will on my boat. So, uh, Reed, we'll start with you, I guess. Um, what is going to be your role on the boat? You're not captaining it. Uh, what would you like to do? You know, all those roles sound like a lot of work. Uh, the dinghy master sounded intriguing. Um, I'm usually good at acquiring cannabis, if that's a possibility down there. That's uh, a hobby of mine. That's a valuable uh, role. Cannabis yeah. master. Yeah, there we go. I can I can probably achieve that. Uh, but no, oh, for, for real, I, I am very interested in, uh, in learning to sail. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of the questions I had I didn't really mention was, 
would it benefit to learn, you know, to try to take some of the Southern classes before we go, or should I just wait and, you know, try to learn from you guys and then maybe spawn that on to a, uh, you know, a class later or another trip later on? But So, Reed, I, I will say that a lot of the, uh, uh, like, sails are automated on, on these boats, so you're not going to be out there, like, you know, pulling lines a lot. You, I mean, in certain circumstances, you might. But primarily, it's just you need. I'm going to be trying to race Mike, so I mean, I gotta try to do something, you know. So well, you know, it's not a race. It's it's uh, you know, the <laughs> fastest person race. to the bar, the fastest person it's to the bar doesn't always win. Yeah, to Mike, everything <laughs> is going to be a race on this trip. <laughs> um, but so, uh, Will, what what would be your? Uh, would you like to? dump the the poo into the channel um i think that's for me to view everyone there as a servant of mine so i really won't be participating <laughs> that's fantastic i i expect nothing else that's exactly the crew member yeah. you don't want on your boat yeah well he happens to be on my boat so will wilson ladies and gentlemen we're not going to be racing obviously but Wait what a second. Is, Wait a second. What is? Well, what is? Well, the, hold what, on. Hold on. Hold on. We haven't determined that. I think what's going to happen, based on the agenda that is yet to be finalized, is that we will have a couple of regattas. Um, there'll probably be a test regatta, from A to B, probably on the first day, and then maybe on the trip from Virgin Gorda to Anagata, we'll have a full regatta. So there are definitely going to be some areas where. There's going to be some races. Whether or not some boats want to participate in the race legitimately or not, or just sail leisurely, that's up to their choice. But there I, will be some areas that where there's designated races that people can participate That actually brings up a question that I hadn't considered, which is, are there cannons on these boats? And if so, how many cannons per boat? No, the, there, uh, are no there are no cannons. This is, these are okay. not sailing. We're not saying pirate boats. Um, okay. But, I, but you can you can bring an air horn, which I think we're going to need if we're going to do a regatta. Okay. Can we steal rum and spices from the other boats? You know, pirate-like. Um, you can so steal anything you want from the other boat. Okay. You will be thrown off, though, into the ocean. Uh, also, as far as my job, if, if you steal any of your I swear to God. <laughs> Dan, remind me the damage deposit, how much it is, and... Are we getting it back or no chance in hell? Yeah, just don't uh, don't hit anything with the boat. You'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. I would assume that that's their primary goal is to not use your insurance. And even if you do run aground, it's fine. We did that our first trip, and uh, we were coming into a mooring ball too fast, and we ended up running aground, but everything was fine because it was my bedroom that we hit, um, and we were, we were good to go. So, uh, anyways, uh, without further ado, I guess we should probably wrap things up because if anybody's still listening to this podcast, I don't know why. Good for you. Um, I just want to say I'm looking forward to seeing everybody down in uh, the British Virgin Islands. It's less than a year away now. Guess what, guys? It's almost June, so we're about 11 months away, so... Uh, I know that Dan, um, all of us, captains, Mike, Kip, Dan, we're all looking forward to seeing everybody down there. It's going to be a blast. If you have any questions, 
you obviously know where to reach Dan. He emails you every week. Um, <laughs> so, uh, if, I know. If he, hasn't bro- if he hasn't broached any subject of the matter at this point, he's got 11 months left. So he'll, he'll get there. But guys, it's been, it's been a blast. Casey. Uh, what? You mind if I, I say a few closing comments? Of course, Mike. All right. So I am really pumped up about this trip. Uh, maybe as much as Dan, maybe more. And if you are not pumped up about this trip, you really you need to think about it. You know, we're going to be like thousands of miles away from our normal lives on these amazing catamarans. Uh, we're going to have great weather, great provisions, great destinations, and most importantly, great people, uh, at least on my boat. I don't know about other boats, but uh, I saw the lineup. It's pretty, pretty solid. So I thought of a couple of things. If, if you wanted to do a couple of things to just you know, start to make some inroads and, and build this for yourself. <clears throat> there are four knots that you should learn, especially for people on my boat, because my boat is called D's Knots. So there are four knots that I'm expecting everybody on my boat to know. The first is a bowlin, B-O-W-L-I-N-E. It is the most important knot in sailing. And there will be a quiz as you step onto the boat to make sure that everybody can tie a bowlin. The second knot is a clove hitch. Clove hitch is a great knot for attaching a a line to a pier, uh, particularly those poles that are are usually um, where a pier or a dock is. Clove hitch will help lash the line that you have attached to the boat to the pier. The third knot is a square knot. And that is a great knot for attaching two different uh, lines that have to be tethered together. Um, Pretty standard knot in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever they're calling Scouts these days. And the last and final knot is a cleat knot, which there should be cleats on the docks, cleats on the boat, cleat on the mast. You should be able to have familiarity around being able to attach a line to a cleat, so please familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with those. Next point of order is two movies that I recommend to get you in the sailing spirits. You can um, check these out. I believe at least one of them. Uh, the first one would be Wind, W-I-N-D. It is available on Amazon Prime right now. It's a great movie, I believe from the early 90s, about racing and uh, can get you in the spirits. And then, of course, the podcast, Captain Ron, is a fabulous, uh, funny movie um, that can't be missed. If you haven't seen it in a while, recommend firing it up. If you haven't seen it ever, fire it up. It's, it's just great. And my last point of order here is to just give an extra special thank you to Dan for putting in all this time and effort into making this trip amazing. We can't tell you how much we appreciate all the details and all the work that you're doing. Um, we, uh, we, we appreciate it immensely and, 
we just can't tell you how thankful we are to be able to experience this once in a lifetime trip uh, with your guidance. So that's it for me, uh, Captain Mike D's Knots, signing out. Well, thanks, Mike. All right, guys. Well, it's been um, it's been fun.